Well, good morning again. We are in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're starting a brand new chapter. And those of you that are familiar with Hebrews, especially um, this chapter, you know that this is a very popular chapter as it relates to faith. Many people call it the hall of faith. And we're only going to take a couple of verses today because this is such a gigantic, rich chapter as it relates to faith that I want to really sort of crawl through it. But today I want to give an overview uh, and so give, I guess, a trailer or a preview of why our author is picking this topic at this time and spending so much time on it. And so we're going to take the first three verses today. in chapter 11. So let's start, let me just read those, and then we'll jump in. So verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. In verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So there you have our author, which I believe is the Apostle Paul, as you, if you know, if you've, if you've been sitting through these past 28, 29 weeks. Um, and the more I read this book and the more I dig into it, the more I'm convinced of that. Because Paul is really the champion of faith. When you, when you read through the book of Romans especially, we get a whole systematic theology practically on what faith is. Saving faith, active faith, justification by faith, and so forth and so on. And, and yes, the author here is sort of going to be hinting towards that. But why does he bring in this tremendous, uh, almost genealogy, I guess you could say, of all the people throughout the Old Testament, all the heavy hitters? That, that we think of when we think about strong men of God. And even some of those that we don't think of. He lists them one after the other. And he actually starts with Abel, as we're going to look at next week. But why would he do this to these people here? Were they lacking faith? Now again, remember what this book is called. It's called the book, the letter to the Hebrews. These were Jewish people like all first Christians were. They were all Jewish. They all were very familiar with the Old Testament. More importantly, they were very familiar with the God of the Old Testament, with Yahweh, with what He's done, what He did for them, how He miraculously rescued them out of Egypt, how He gave them the law and appeared to Moses, so much so that as they read in the books, that Moses' face would be so radiant from being in the presence of God that people would not even be able to look at it. Please, Moses, cover your face. They were saved at the Red Sea, miraculously delivered from Egypt, but then they found themselves at the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army charging behind them. And what happens? God parts the Red Sea. And this wasn't some little natural occurrence where a lot of uh, today we try to rationalize how this could have happened. No, this was a parting of the Red Sea. So much so that after the Israelites went through, the waters came back and drowned Pharaoh and his army. 
We have so many things that Israel saw God do, but yet they still lacked faith. They were literally in the presence of God at the temple, but they still lacked faith. And so, as we saw all the way up to this point, our author here told us all about the Old Covenant, and he just got done telling us all about the New Covenant. The supremacy of the New over the Old, because the New Covenant is something that Jesus brought in with His blood and did what the Old Covenant could not do, and that is permanently take away sins with one sacrifice, one swift punch, all of the sins completely wiped away. But you see, the, when you read the book of Hebrews, it's almost like a microcosm of the whole entire Bible. It really is. Because we see the history of the Jewish people, but as it gets towards the end, like we are right now in verse 11, or I'm, tra- I'm sorry, in chapter 11, and then we see in chapter 12 and 13 that this author is really taking uh, this to the extreme, just like the Bible does in the book of Revelation where it ends with the whole entire world being populated with the glory of God, the new creation. And that's where we're going right here in Hebrews, as we're going to see in chapter, at the end of chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13. He talks about this city that, not is, that is not going to come, but that has already come. They're already at that foot of the mountain. They're already able to draw near into the presence of Christ. So why would they need faith? And, and, if, and, and obviously here, they had all the faith. I mean, they had all of the, what would you call, facts. But something was missing. You see, God had a much bigger picture than just <clears throat> having us go to Hebrews chapter 11 and say, you know what, I'm really losing faith these days. Let me go and read chapter 11 and realize faith is being sure in what I hope for and certain in what I can't see. And a lot of times we say, okay, all right, good, I'm feeling better. Almost as if we have a faith in faith. So we we have this faith in faith that once we grab onto faith, then we're okay. Sometimes forgetting about what the object of that faith is supposed to be. Other times people take pride in the fact that they have absolutely no idea why they believe that they do. That's why their faith is so great. They don't need to have proof. I believe in God. I know I can't see Him. I know that, you know, He's invisible. But just, I don't, I don't care about the facts. I don't care about the evidence. My strength is that I have faith in faith. Or I have faith in the fact that it's so irrational And it's so crazy that I believe it anyway, so that must mean I have strong faith. You see, that's not what the faith of the Bible is. You see, we, and I believe the author here, wants these people to know that they should have an authentic faith. But more than that, a reasonable faith. A faith that is just based off of facts. See, because faith and facts don't really go together. As Jesus said when he was talking to, telling the story about Lazarus in Abraham's bosom and the rich man burning across that chasm where he asked Jesus, he said, or he, 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 he went over and asked Lazarus or asked Abraham, please just touch the water and just dip it into my mouth. And they couldn't make that transition. But then he pleads for his brothers. 
He pleads for the ones that are still alive. Please go show them. Show them and warn them about this place. And then Jesus ends that parable or that story that even if someone were to raise from the dead, they still would not believe. And I have news for you. If you're one of those people that's struggling with your faith, and you're waiting for evidence to help you over that hump, or you're waiting for some fact to come out that's going to say, yes, well, this is it, now I believe, you're going to wait and wait and wait and wait. Because the human mind, the human body, the intellect, the ego, the memory, you name it, every single one of our faculties in our mind is brushed, bruised, And literally thwarted by sin. So you are not going to be able to use your mind or your senses to ever prove God exists. It's never going to be, uh, you're never going to be able to look at facts and evidence and say, yes, that's it. Now I'm convinced. It doesn't work that way. Now, don't get me wrong. When God does a work in your heart, and God opens your eyes, and God gives you faith, now a lot of things change. Now all the facts that we know start to make sense and start to back up and validate what we know is true. But never will it be in the reverse. And again, I love how he goes back to the very, very foundation here in verse 3. He says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. A lot of times this is taken wrong, and it's almost, it's almost like saying, <clears throat> well, now what, what God did is he made things that were invisible when he made the earth. He made things that were invisible, visible. That's not what he did. There was absolutely nothing. I know it's hard for us to get our minds around that. There was absolutely nothing. The word universe means single spoken sentence. Universe, one sentence. Jesus spoke the word and it happened. And that's, he is the first mover to take an argument from St. Thomas, even though I don't philosophically agree, agree with him. But he was the first one. He is the ultimate authority. And you have to have that in your thinking when you come and approach the topic of faith. Are you depending upon things such as reason and things such as um, evidence, what they call empirical evidence? I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. Unless I could feel it, touch it, or taste it, it's not true. But that logic fails on multiple levels because if you're a flawed individual, even if you're not, even if you think you're made perfect, how do you know what you're seeing, tasting, and smelling is actually true? You don't. You can never prove it. Oh, you could say, well, I'm doing it. I'm feeling it. I'm touching it. But that can't really prove anything. You could be some sort of mind. Your your mind can be in some sort of vat somewhere. Who knows? You're in the matrix, right? Right? That's what everybody says. Yeah, I'm in the matrix now. You can't prove anywhere, anything otherwise outside of the Christian worldview. You see, the Christian worldview provides everything you need to make sense out of faith. It provides that ultimate authority, God, who is outside of time space, who's 
ultimately powerful, who's all good, and who made us in, the, in his image. And he made us to take dominion. He made us to go out and have experiences and rationalize. He gave us reason and knowledge to be able to think. He didn't give us reason and knowledge for that to become our God. Because we can't make that our God because that in and of itself is using itself to prove itself. When I say a certain sentence, I'm using logic to prove it. But where did that logic come from? Where does all the immaterial laws come from? It's impossible for them to have evolved. Try to, try to make sense out of logic evolving. That wouldn't last too long. You see, but in the Christian worldview, we can make sense of these things. From an atheistic worldview, you can't make sense pretty much of anything, especially morality. Now again, this story is going somewhere. God is trying, not trying, but God is doing something special, not only with his people, but with the world. You see, he started in the garden, as we know. And that, that was, a, was a project with Adam, who failed miserably. We know the situation, we know the deal. Then we saw humanity for six chapters in Genesis sort of just go off kilter until God wipes out humanity and starts over with Noah. But man continues in rebellion, builds a tower of Babel. God takes the nations, he separates the nations, and then what's he do once again? He says, I am going to make a people for myself. And he calls Abraham. And he calls him out. And Abraham believes him so much so that God accounts it to him as if he is faithful to God's covenant that he really didn't even make yet with him at all because Israel wasn't even born. He counted it as, he counted him as righteous. Because of his faith. And the, what God is doing here is absolutely amazing. He's making a new people for himself. The whole rest of the earth had been thrown out under the realm of Satan, under his authority. And then here we see in Genesis 12, God taking a people for himself. Abraham. And what does he identify? What's the identity badge that he gives his people? Good works? Nope. Circumcision? Nope. Faith. It all happened first. You see, faith is that unique identifier that all the people of God must have in order to be used by God, in order to be part of this thing that God is doing. And so that's why this author right here and now, after he goes and he talks about the perils of falling away, and the fact that it is a new covenant that God is now working in us, right? He's, we're, he's writing the laws of a, in his, on our heart. He's writing the laws on our mind. But all that is absolutely useless for people that don't believe. So he cannot be pleased outside of faith. You can't please God. Because you can't be used by God outside of faith. We know the story where Jesus couldn't even do miracles in certain places because of the lack of faith of the people. And we say, well, wait a second, Pat. Are you trying to say faith is something that 
people have and they have to conjure it up? No. But let me just tell you this. As you can tell, I'm jumping ahead here. I don't even know where it's at. But if you look, there's 40 times it's mentioned in the New Testament alone. The two words together, your faith. 40 times by Jesus. And you could just go, if you just do it in your, in your software, in your Bible software, just hit your faith and see, and it just goes down. Daughter, your, your faith has made you well. Take courage. Woman, your faith is great. It will be done for you as you wish. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here. Go, your faith has made you well. Where is your faith? Faith, faith, faith. God, Jesus is constantly putting the onus on people to show their faith. What do we say about that? When it's absolutely impossible for us to generate it on our own. Well, faith must be something that is outside of ourself. Faith is something that comes from God. Now, why does faith come from God? Because man is dead in his sins and trespasses. Man is unable to do anything outside of what his human nature has created him to do, and that is sin. And so for man to have faith would, would presuppose that man has the ability to choose on his own, to turn from his sin on his own, to pick himself up from his own bootstraps. Can't happen. The Bible says that faith is a gift. It's a gift from God. Faith is, again, there's two parts of it that I would like to cover today is the saving faith, which we're sort of talking about, and then the active faith. And again, these are two sides of, of, of two sides of the same coin. There's no such thing as a faith that sits and does nothing, as James has made it very clear. Faith without works is dead. And a lot of times people try to take this and say, well, that means faith is a work. You see what I'm saying? No, that's not. He's talking to believers who express their faith as an expression of their character, of who, of who they are. Just like that's where faith comes from God. It's an expression of the character of Christ. Christ's faithfulness. We are in Christ. We therefore now exercise faith. And so when Jesus says, where is your faith? He is putting an onus on you to show and to respond of something that's already in you. Something that you have residing in you that he wants you to activate. And my question is, is do we do that? Are we doing that? Well, the people here obviously were about to bail out. The people that were here in Rome, this letter, uh, we, we, we assume that these guys are in Rome, or at least we know that the letter is from Rome. But these people were having, they were getting persecuted. They, as we saw last time, they lost everything. Remember that when they first came to Christ, remember when you were first enlightened, remember, make sure you endure, because remember when you were first enlightened on how great things were, no, on how you got all your property taken from you. On how you suffered and how you stood with those that suffered as well. Remember those times to be able to endure. And that's what God is trying to tell us here through this is that, okay, remember those times, but now you got to get out of that. And now I want you to charge forward. 
And that's what this whole chapter is about. People that charged forward in faith that did not see nor receive the promise they were charging forward to. (laughs) They didn't get it. All of them, you're going to see that. None of them did. And you and I probably aren't going to see it either in this life. But because we have the gospel, because we have the resurrection, because we have the Holy Spirit, we could just as much right now live as if we are in that new kingdom in anticipation of it because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and for us and through us here. And that's why faith is so important for them. Because if they don't have that and they're not willing to look back and to see, look, you're not going to get this instant gratification. Just because you've been a good boy and a good girl this week doesn't mean you're going to get a payday next week. That's not how it works in Christianity, does it? Doesn't work that way at all. First of all, we're not working for a payday, right? Second of all, we don't care. We've already been paid. We have Christ. If that's what you want, Lord, if you want me to stay, you want me to suffer, you want me to be persecuted, you want me to do this, it's your will, not my will. That's the faith that God needs in order for him to, be, to, for him to use his people to build and to do what he's building towards. And that is the kingdom of God. <clears throat> we're going to hear about Abel. We're going to hear about Enoch. We're going to hear about Noah. Abraham, Moses, they're going to be two big figures we're going to hear a lot about. But the one common denominator through everybody is they didn't get with that what they were striving for. They didn't get it. And so that's what we have to be waiting with. That's what we have to be expecting almost. Now, how do we expect that? Well, again, go back to last week. What is what is the goal here? A better promise. That's what he's talking about at the end of last week, right? It's a better promise. It's a better possession. It's a lasting possession. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You're in need of endurance. So that way, when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then he he quotes Habakkuk again. The just will live by faith. And so here we have right here and a, a sort of like a, a dichotomy a little bit. So you're saying, I have to believe in that which I don't see? Yes, because of who we know is that ultimate authority. We can make sense of life. We can make sense of faith. We can make sense of morality and right and wrong. We can make sense of why we think, why we're made in the image of God. Why do we make sense of it? Because it's God telling us, but also because of what God is doing with us. And what he's doing here through Christ in this world. And that is he's making all things new. It's not making all new things. He's making all things new. So faith, what is it? A couple of things here to to, to bite into. Faith is a steady moving towards trusting God. It's a steady moving. This is what we see in all of these examples that we're going to see in this chapter. These people were steadily moving forward. They fell back. Sometimes they got off the path, but they continually moved forward. They trusted God for what? 
for good things and, and food and shelter? Yes. But again, that wasn't the framework. The framework is God's kingdom. And sometimes it's like as Christians, it's like we have all the pieces of the puzzle in front of us. Like we know all, we know all about the Bible. We have just pieces of everything there. But we just don't have the framework to put it in. And so we create our own framework. Or we copy this person's framework. And before we know it, we have four or five different frameworks. Now, I don't know about you, but again, if you know how to put a puzzle together, if those of you that have young children, you know, you find the corners, right? You find the edges, and then you build in from there. What is the framework of what God is doing? Is it me and my salvation? Is it getting me off to heaven? Is it making my life better and getting me nice cars and money and all the things that I'm going to have if I can follow God? No. The framework is God's renewal of creation. That's the narrative throughout all of Scripture. Redemption. God making people new. God making people right so they can go and make the world right. God saving us for the world not trying to pull us from the world. God putting us in situations where there's pain and suffering and saying, now let me see you be Christian in that situation. And then what happens when it goes, the aroma of Christ spreads. And people smell it. Sometimes it's from death unto death. And then other times it's from life unto life. But either way, it's God's aroma spreading. He's doing his job. He's building and he's moving towards something. And we get to be a part of that. <clears throat> now, again, our model, who is our model? It's Jesus. He is the faithful one. Jesus is, you see, again, this is why we believe by faith. This is not an arbitrary decision by God who says, how are we going to save people? And you know, and, and all the sons of God were sitting before the Lord and they said, how about save them through hope? Or how about save them through works? Or save them through skill? Or whatever the case may be. Whatever virtue you want to think of. Persistence. Love. No, faith. Why? Well, in the Greek, faith and faithfulness are used interchangeably. It's the same word. So a lot of times, there's commentators fight over what should be translated faith or faithful or faithfulness. And a lot of times, I think when it comes to Jesus, especially when we're looking at his mission, is that did Jesus have faith? Well, I guess you could say he did. He emptied himself. He trusted fully in God, but he was God. However, because of his full-blown humanity, we can say that Jesus was the faithful one. And that's who we want to emulate in our walk with the Lord. Is our, we're, in, we're microcosms of Christ, so we're emulating Jesus, what he did. Not necessarily going around and trying to look like him, or talk like him, or do all those other things. But we're trying to emulate his faithfulness unto the Father. Where he says, as the Father sent me, now I send you. Remember that? And then he blew on the, on the disciples. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. He was, 
He was echoing back to Adam when God blew into the nostrils and gave him life. He's re-establishing that vocation of mankind to go out into the world and propagate God's kingdom. And so when, when, we, when God gives us, when he gives us that breath, he is now blowing into us that breath. Now he wants us to do what? Go do good works? Not necessarily. Go get into ministry? Maybe, but not necessarily. More than all of that, be faithful. Be faithful to me. Well, what do you got me to do, God? I want to know. I want the facts. Give me all the facts. No, Abraham didn't ask for the facts when he was called, right? Not even Jesus. What did he say? Let your will be done. Take this cup if it be your will, but let your will, not my. God, Jesus was the faithful one. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And that's why he tells, he, he says here uh, in Hebrews, we've already been here, done this, but Hebrews 3 Chapter 1 to 6, therefore, holy brethren, notice how he says holy brethren, talking to the Hebrew sinners that were lacking faith and that are bailing out left and right, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. As Moses also was faithful in all of his house, this one has been counted worthy of more glory. You see, Moses was indeed faithful in his house as a servant, but Christ was faithful as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope until the end. So Christ's faithfulness is what pleased God. Because we always are so quick to jump to the obedience of Christ and say, Jesus never sinned. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never sinned. Right? Everybody and he didn't. And that's true. Okay? But it's so much bigger than that. It's, God didn't need someone just to walk around earth and not sin. Okay? He needed someone to be the faithful Adam because Adam failed. He needed someone to be the faithful Israel because Israel failed. He needed someone to be the light of the world because mankind was dark. And that faithfulness is what brought him to the cross to be able to fill, and like it says in Hebrews, he was perfect and complete. He did everything that he needed to do to satisfy our redemption because of his faithfulness. So faith is being sure and what we hope for, and certain in what we can't see. But what do we hope for? We're hoping for what? To be a part of the big framework. Not our little itty-bitty worlds that we're, we're, we're just in all the time, you know, regurgitating the same things over and over and over. We get so consumed with ourselves. God is like big picture. Come on, big, get in the big picture. I've got you where you are for a purpose. You'll figure it out. But don't worry about that as much as worry about being the faithful one. Because that's what Jesus did. He emptied himself. <clears throat> again, taking himself, or emptying himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Being made in the likeness of men. Considering who he is, God. <clears throat> and being found in appearance as a man, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death. And that's really what we have to do. We have to humble ourselves and become obedient and faithful unto death for Christ. You know, I don't like that. But that's what he wants us to do. Now, not everybody here has a gun to their head going, you know, confess or deny Jesus or or die, because that's what everybody thinks of when they think that. That's easy compared to what God is calling you to do. Okay, he's calling you to be faithful unto death, and you may end up living a long time in a horrible situation. You may end up having to wrangle, okay, with sins your whole entire life. You may have to wrangle with people your whole entire life. You may have to argue and fight for the faith your whole entire life. What are you going to do? Be faithful to the end? Unto death? That's what Paul says. Look, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. I fought the good fight. That's what I'm talking about. Fighting the good fight. And then when it's time, you know, that's what he did. He said, it's time. I'm gone. Now, again, the Hebrews were coming into the home stretch of history. Jerusalem about to be destroyed in four years. The true Israel being reborn in Christ for the world. This is where it's been headed all along. But the question is, is for you and I, is we have this amazing, not guessing faith. We have every single thing in the word of God tells us of the impossibility of every other way and any other thing other than God himself as the creator, other than Jesus Christ as the savior. We have it all here. We also have it in our hearts if you're a believer in Christ. But all of that is great and fine and dandy. But what are you going to do with that faith? And that's what I want to go through over the next, I don't know, 35 weeks or whatever as we're here in chapter 11. No, it's not going to be that long. But next week, I want to talk about this. Why does he go into the faith that Abel offered to God or the faith that Abel showed God? By giving a better sacrifice than Cain. Why does he talk about Enoch, who's a really interesting character, who was taken up so that he wouldn't see death? How is that faith? And again, why is it impossible to please God without faith? Although we we talked a little bit about there. And then we get into Abraham. So what I ask you to do is read ahead. Read chapter 11, all of chapter 11 at least. And read chapter 12 and 13 to see where we're going. And then if you really want some extra credit, you could read through Romans. Romans uh, up up and through uh, chapter 11 is a a nice, easy read. It'll take you about 45 minutes at at double speed. In any case, let's pray. Father, we do pray for faith, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we go through this chapter, Lord, that you will uh, continue to open our eyes on really what it means for us to not just have faith, but to be faithful. We thank you for the Lord Jesus as our example, but we fall so short, Lord. So God, I pray that you would give us a a sense of, of direction here. I pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that hasn't experienced saving faith, Lord, that you would just endow them with it right now and open their eyes so that they would believe unto Christ for for, for eternal salvation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.